And now, the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and did it my way. Frank Sinatra. Shouldn't that final curtain come down with dignity? You're listening to a special program on pediatric palliative care policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Rick Goldstein. Dr. Goldstein is an assistant professor of pediatrics at the Boston University School of Medicine and is the associate program director of the Boston Combined Pediatric Residency Program. He is a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Palliative Care and is involved in the development of pediatric palliative care policy. Today we are discussing pediatric palliative care, where we are, and what needs to be done to improve services. Hi, Dr. Goldstein, and thank you for coming and speaking with us today. It's my pleasure. How are you? Good, thanks. What is palliative care, and who is it designed to serve? So palliative care in pediatrics is a little bit different than palliative care in internal medicine. And one of the reasons for that is that although there are children who die every year, in fact, in the United States, there are 50,000 children who die, there are many more children by at least a factor of 10 that are coping with either life-threatening or life-limiting conditions. And so pediatric palliative care encompasses really both of those categories. There are children who, for whom the end of life is near, and there are a number of support services that need to be allocated and focused for them. And then there are the children for whom, who have conditions that so intensely affect the quality of their lives that they need a different kind of support. And that area is something unique to pediatric palliative care. So this is not end-of-life care. This is really a disease management. I think in general, when you talk to people that are interested in pediatric palliative care, or palliative care for that matter, although the circumstances are end-of-life and life-limiting, they're much more interested in the more positive aspects of that, enhancing a quality of life in such desperate situations, preventing and relieving suffering so that you can speak about a quality of life. And actually, this tension is a big advocacy point in pediatric palliative care programs. Are there other differences between the needs of a child entering palliative care versus adults? You mentioned that pediatric palliative care is special and there are special needs. Are there other ones? I think that seriously ill or suffering children have a whole other set of issues that become very important. For instance, how do you conduct conversations with children at various ages of development? For instance, how do you talk to parents? So typically, hospice programs are funded for people that have less than six months to live, and one condition of that is that they would give up any health services or any curative treatments that are devoted towards the condition that brought them into those services. That's a little scary. Well, I don't think most parents want to do that. And there are now three states in the country who have programs where those federal payment rules are suspended. And so the parents aren't put in a choice of having to give up any chance for cure and still get the amount of support that come with hospice as well as being in these more complex programs. That's really important because, as I understand the psychosocial aspects of medicine and chronic illness, hope is the single thing that has the highest correlation with survival. And to tell parents you'd have to stop all treatment to get covered, I mean, that's just incredible. 
It is incredible, but that's really what is the standard. Now, is the Academy trying to change that policy? You mentioned three states changed that policy. What's the Academy doing on that basis? Just last week, there was a big organizational meeting to help the Academy develop a strategy for this. So at this point, the Academy isn't formally doing anything other than collecting information. I think that there was a lot of buzz about these integrated hospice and palliative care programs for children, and I suspect that we'll align ourselves and that this will be a fairly important part of palliative care advocacy for the Academy. From my background reading, I think that August 2000 was the last official statement from the American Academy of Pediatrics on palliative care policy for children. Out of this meeting you attended, what's come out of it? Are there other buzzwords? Are there other you know, keynote points that people are going to be addressing? Yeah. Well, there are two areas that I think currently are very important. So the advocacy point of state-funded hospice and palliative care programs that have a cutout that defers from hospice care, and that's what we just talked about. So that's the first area of advocacy. The second of area of advocacy is within medicine. What's happening in medicine is that hospice and palliative care has just been approved by the boards to become its own boarded subspecialty. Oh, that's great. It's great, but it happens in a set of historical circumstances. So, for instance, the previous exams to certify people in hospice care, certify MDs in hospice care, really had very little attention to pediatric palliative care. We are such a small part of the pie in the palliative care business that we have to really speak up with a, with a strong voice. For instance, there are 2.3 million deaths per year in adults, and this contrasts with the 50,000 children deaths. So it's a whole other set of advocacy that needs to happen, and, and that was probably the major focus of the meeting that I just went to. A couple of things I wanted to go back to. One is the payments for palliative care services. Is this not covered by private insurance? Is it covered at all by Medicaid and SCHIP when it hopefully will soon be passed? Are any of these sources of funding? So this gets back to the issue of what constitutes hospice. So under federal payment rules, which are also followed by many private insurers, patients qualify for hospice only when they are in this category of six months or less to live and willing to give up curative treatments. Of course, who knows when you have six months to live? No, but I think that there's some flexibility around the edges, but this is really how everything is aligned, and it has a huge impact on kids. So less than 1% of children that need hospice in the United States, we estimate, actually receive it. I'd like to stop for just a moment to welcome those who have just joined us. You're listening to a special program on pediatric palliative care policy. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Rick Goldstein of the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Palliative Care. Please continue, Rick. So I think when we think about the place of children in any comprehensive subspecialty, we have to come to the table with a fairly clear idea that Number one, they are a special population. They're not the only special population, but they're a very special population with particular needs. And if we're going to have one certification, we have to make sure that that doesn't work against the level of specialty and expertise we'd really like to have in pediatrics. So just to clarify, this is not an American Board of Pediatrics subspecialty board. This is going to be a 
conjoint board? Yeah, it's actually, I think, precedent-setting the number of boards that were involved. I can't remember how many actually are, but mm-hmm. quite a few boards came together to agree to this subspecialty. And it turns out that the Board of Pediatrics was the holdout due just to the kinds of concerns we're talking about now. One of the things I wanted to address with you was manpower needs. Are there enough pediatricians currently trained in palliative care? And again, you're involved with the residency training program. Are you encouraging young doctors to choose palliative care as a specialty? Well, I don't know that I'm encouraging them to choose it as a subspecialty so much as I'm encouraging them to pay attention to many of the important parts of palliative care. So much of what makes palliative care special makes our relationships with our patients, and now I'm speaking just as a general pediatrician or not just as a general pediatrician, but as a general pediatrician, make those relationships special. And in fact, one of my points at these meetings is that we shouldn't gut pediatric primary care to create this other specialty. That idea of attention to how suffering goes on, pain management in the family, integrating culture and spirituality and family values into their care plan, integrating knowledge of primary care into just how we sort of conduct ourselves in these sorts of challenging situations, making sure we don't feel that we need to take every complicated case and just refer it away from our practices where we have much better sense of the family and the other kids in the family. All those things become very important in pediatric palliative care, but they're also really important in just basic primary care. So I'm as interested, maybe even a little bit more interested in enabling basic primary care community docs to not give up on this and to really hone their skills when the few cases arise that are like this. I mean, if you look at deaths for a primary care doctor in pediatrics, you probably have four or five. A typical pediatric primary care doctor probably has four or five in the course of their career. And I think one thing that's clear from the literature is that it makes a big difference if their primary care doctor's there for that journey. But doesn't that really have to be taught at the residency level? Because unfortunately, that's where death occurs in the hospital, and you probably see more deaths, say, on an oncology service during your residency than any other time in your career. If it's not taught then, can you really learn it when you're out in practice being pulled in so many different directions? I completely agree. I completely agree. But there are different ways that you can learn it. You can learn it as if it's somebody's specific turf and it's a set of skills that people are specialized to do, or you can learn it in a way that challenges you to pick up on these skills and apply it when the time comes in your practice. I think that there will be and there is a lot of emphasis in integrating these palliative care skills and awareness of many of the big important issues of palliative care, whether it's a better understanding of pain treatment or a better understanding of how to convey bad news or how to follow up on on these kind of difficult cases. I think all that needs to be incorporated into basic training. But I also think that we would not do ourselves a service if we removed this from what we call the medical home. If you could write the Academy's palliative care policy, what would your one, two, three major points be? I don't know that it would be that different than what the AAP statement was in 2000. I think it would assert the principles for palliative care and respect for the dignity of patients and families, that it should be a family-centered enterprise, that the Academy should work to assure access to competent and compassionate palliative care, 
that the academy should advocate on the behalf of the caregivers to make sure that there's adequate support and that there's not just social support for pediatric palliative care, but professional support for it. And then to advocate for research and education in, in those areas. Rick, I'd like to thank you so much for being our guest and for discussing the American Academy of Pediatrics policy on palliative care. I leave you with the words of Mother Teresa. Let us touch the dying according to the graces that we have received, and let us not be ashamed or slow to do the humble work. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to a special program on pediatric palliative care policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our new on-demand and podcast features. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.